Boag World is brought to you by headscape.co.uk in association with getsignoff.com and the website owner's manual. In this week's show, GetSignOff has finally launched. We talk about how to use web stats to improve your site and we answer your questions about roles within web design and should you help clients with hosting. Hi Paul, how are you doing? Hi Paul, how are you? Hello Paul. Hi Paul. Hi Paul and Marcus. Hello and welcome to the first ever BoagWorld.com podcast. Boag World. Hello and welcome to the hundredth episode of Hello and welcome to the 140th episode of BioAgWorld.com, a podcast for those involved in designing, developing and running websites on a daily basis. My name's Paul Bag, And my name is Marcus Dillington, with a bit of a... I sound like I've got a cold, but I haven't. I don't think you sound like you've got a cold. Maybe it's just these headphones it could doing be. weird things it could to me. Be. So I need to put a disclaimer on the beginning of this show. Well, Headscape gets signed off at Website Owner's Manual, <laughs> Headscape... <laughs> No, that isn't a disclaimer, although I admit that it might be a little heavy on the mentions of get sign-off. I'm just saying eight words or whatever it is Random today, combinations on thereof. Yeah. Um, no, it's, it's, I am, uh, well, a disclaimer or prediction depends on how you want to look at it. I reckon this is going to be the longest show ever. Really? Yeah. Last week was what, four uh, well, and a half hours. Uh, something it? like that. This week is going to be even longer. Um, I'm also going to predict um, that it's going to be the most disorganised show ever. That's that's a pretty that's a big statement. Yeah, ever, ever. Well, no, not including the live shows, <laughs> which are a complete joke. Yeah. So there we go. Do you want the good news or the bad news first? Uh, bad news first. Bad news first is get sign off has been launched. That's not a bad thing. It is a bad thing, and I'll tell you why. One is I'm going to be talking about it a lot on the show, which is going to irritate everybody. Get sign off. Get sign off. Podcast, yeah. Um, but also, it has been the most stressful experience of my life. Do you know, I, I, you know, I can stand up happily in front of 800 people and talk about web design, no problem. Right? What are you doing? Searching for my violin. Shut up. No, I'm not. I'm not asking for a sub story. I'm just saying it's really, it is a terrifying thing to do. On you know, Monday. You know the music that Radio 1 always used to do the. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, do, do, do. yeah that, I'm, it? I'm going to find that and put yeah. that over this. Okay, right, then. It's like, it's the most terrifying experience. I was honestly, this is not a lie. I was shaking on Monday. It's pathetic. Yes. How old am I? <laughs> but no, for some reason, I think it's because it's something we've worked on for so long. I mean, the other really weird thing, and the other kind of reason why I've got no excuse to get up to it, not a single line of code, not a single pixel of the design is down to me. No, so, just the idea. Just th- this vague <laughs> idea that I seem to, everybody thinks is associated yeah, it's, it's with me. totally yours, Paul, nothing to do with me. <laughs> Unless it's a huge success. Yeah, in which case it is. No, I mean, the credit has to go to um, Dave and Mez and Lee that have done brilliant yeah. brilliant stuff on that. Um, but no, so so we will be boring people with that later. However, I've hopefully, what I've, I've written a bit, um, which we're going to cover later in the show, about really our experiences of, of creating a web app. Um, and I hope that that isn't just pimping get sign off, although obviously it's partly pimping. Of course it is. I know. What can I say? I'm but trying to be good. It is relevant. It's useful. Potentially it's to, useful. To the no, there's some useful. There's some useful stuff in there. Right? Do you want the good news? 
Good news, yeah. I've got, got my chocolate? lovely oh. new MacBook Pro. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Yes, it's very nice. I'm not sure about the black bit around the screen, though. Oh, see, I like that. Or the weird keyboard. Well, I like the keyboard, definitely. But you've always been a bit funny about those keyboards. Mm. But do you know what I'm not sure about? I'm not sure about the way um, Apple have gone with their advertising campaigns. They've gone all like, I'm going to attack Vista and no holds barred. It's like they always use... Yeah, Right. You don't need to attack Vista. But what's what's so dumb, right? Okay, mm. is the kind of the same people that would criticize uh, criticize the Microsoft adverts, right? Yeah. Microsoft have just done a load of adverts because they don't talk about any of the benefits of Vista, right? And they don't sell Windows, and they don't, you know, sell Microsoft even. They're just these ads. Well, neither does the bloody mm. Mac ads, right? The Mac ads now consist of Vista bashing and don't actually say anything at all about the benefits of why, you know, Mac is a better platform. So I'm a bit pissed That's off. That's weird. I mean, Vista's all right. It's just slower. That's its, its <laughs> issue. <laughs> no, it's, And it's it falls like, over quite a lot. And it's overly complicated. Yeah, but it's, some of the <laughs> stuff on it is really quite cool. Yeah. But, you know, you hit a button and then you wait. Yeah. And it's like, this is like it used to be. Yeah. Uh, whereas Macs days. don't do that. You hit the button and they go, zap. Yeah. Normally, anyway. Yeah. Unless, like me, you're running too much. Yeah, well. Yes. But I've got to say, having, having this thing He's is rubbing so it. powerful. He's stroking it. stroking my, my MacBook. That's anyway, people sad. are... That's another thing people complain about me talking about Macs too much now, yeah. which is really ironic considering I Mac'd, yes. Mac-bashed for so long. So, you got anything else interesting to say that, that our dear listeners might be interested in, or should we just go on to the news? Let's move on. Okay. Okay, so news might be interesting today. <laughs> Because get sign off launches. <laughs> no, because it's not really news. Is it? Well, because it is for us. Well, you know, I spent a long time debating about whether to make it a news story or not, <laughs> but I felt that that was probably pushing it just a bit. So I haven't mainly because I couldn't fit everything I wanted to say into a news story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, um, so I was spending so much time faffing and fretting over the launch of this product that will remain nameless now mm. i'm not going to say it. it's the word the, the product that must not be named the g word like voldemort yeah. um that i didn't write any news stories so ryan and paul kindly stepped into the breach and did it for me uh, so we've got some northern news stories. northern news stories mm. but uh, the problem being is that i haven't even really read them i've only just scanned That's them very honest so, uh, so this could be very interesting if I kind of lose the plot. Oh, you're not going to get any help from me. No. <laughs> well, you know as much as I do. You've got it written down oh. in front of you. Okay. We'll do it a paragraph at a time. <laughs> this could prove interesting, <laughs> couldn't it? Okay. First news story is Acid 3. Um, the receptions and misconceptions and do we have a winner and et cetera, et cetera. So Acid 3... Um, well, now let's start in a different place. Let's start talking about WebKit, which is the open source browser engine behind Safari. Um, and also, actually, the new Google Chrome um, uh, web browser. And anyway, the guys that, that produce WebKit have announced that they've passed what is called the ACID3 test, which was developed by the Web Standards Project. So, you know, what is ACID3? You might, might not actually know. Well, ACID3 kind of is basically a series of tests that can be run against any given browser and produces a score, basically. Um, the goal being to get 100 out of 100. So the score is generated on how standards compliant your browser is. So, for example, does it support, you know, CSS 2.1? Does it, you know, it styles things like inline block and pre-wrap and various other kind of 
bits of jargon that Marcus glazes over at. Mm-hmm. You know, does it support, um, you know, f- uh, a, a, a CVG fonts? SVG. You can't even read, can you? You've been, he's been so dragged down my by brain. the get so- sign-off launch. I'll read it, you comment. My, How about that? No, no, shut <laughs> up. My brain is just completely fried. It's so funny. So anyway, long and the short of all this, is basically this test called Acid 3. WebKit passes it, you know, big cool. deal. Who cares, really? But does it, <laughs> so, not that I'm criticising Ryan's choice system. Well, yeah, I mean, it's great. It's great to have a standard like this that everybody moves towards. And um, does it mean that we should ditch Firefox, IE, and other browsers in favour of Safari and Chrome? Well, no, basically. Um, and there's actually an article over at Wasp that talks about what all this means, and we link to that in the show notes at boagworld.com forward slash podcast forward slash 140. Yeah, so there we go. Um, so it's great to have yeah tests like that, but uh, we don't really care much. So there we go. That's that news. I think story. we've all worked out what kind of mood Paul is in. You realise that you're just laying yourself open for more criticism. Why? What am I going to be criticised about now? Uh, just being kind of negative and and Me? like we don't care. Me negative. <laughs> Me not caring. I'm such an enthusiastic person. I'm tired. What can I say? I might. Oh, do you expect me to be upbeat and excited all the time? Yeah. No. Come Bob on. Off. Right. Next news story. Anyway. So Dreamweaver CS4, which is something I can muster only slightly more enthusiasm <laughs> for than the Acid Three tests. Um, so we already talked about this. Yeah, we kind of have. We talked about the launch of CS um, CS4. Um, but there's actually a post over at SitePoint which talks about, well, well basically, um, Alex Walker shares six things that he likes about the new release of um, Dreamweaver. Okay. And I did have a quick look at this. And, yeah, I kind of, he did increase my level of excitement just just fractionally. From there to there. Yeah. I mean, am I going to change from Coda back to Dreamweaver? No. Will I download Dreamweaver and give it a go based on these six things? Yeah, possibly. So, you know, you never know. Stranger things have happened. Mainly things like Bush becoming president. You know, things like that. All topical now. Now I'm going to just go and offend some more people. It's very soon, actually. It is. I'm going to be out there. I'm going to be out there when he becomes president. Uh, When he becomes deposed. Do you get deposed? I don't think so. That's kings are deposed, aren't they? If they are sort of sent away in disgrace, well, I think. Can I can I just say what what is the difference really uh, between well, terminology between a, a monarchy and a, and U.S. presidents? Because it's it's hereditary. <laughs> so you know yeah, they've got they, ridiculous. But in fact, they've years. got sorry, they've got much more power than a monarchy. I <laughs> oh, forgot. Way, way more. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So there we go. But no, no, that's um, it'll be. When is it? The fourth, third, third, fourth. fourth. Right, okay. I think it's fourth. Cool. Anyway, when it's whatever this conference is going on, future of web design. That's it. Right. Um, so yeah, somewhere, so check out what he basically says in this article about Dreamweaver Four uh, CS Four. Um, he talks about improvements in the UI and workflow. The UI is definitely better. I have to say that workflow. Uh, you know, I'm not. I don't live within the Adobe universe so much, so that's less mm. of a thing for me. Um, they've got related files to a toolbar, which is quite a useful idea. Um, a code navigator, um, the live view and the kind of, yeah, live view has been improved. It's got some really good JavaScript stuff, um, and it makes the JavaScript unobtrusive, which obviously I like. 
So from reading the article, these improvements um, over the previous version look reasonably promising, I have to say. Um, And the one thing that caught Ryan's eye, and I have to say makes me go, ooh, is something called intelligent code completion for JavaScript. Well, basically, it auto-completes your JavaScript like like, um, it would do HTML. Um, So you start typing H1 and it puts the rest in kind of thing. Um, But it doesn't just do this for like you know raw javascript also does it with uh, popular libraries such as jquery mood tools and prototype which for me is a big seller i have to say i really like that one a lot um also appears that adobe have finally made some big improvements to their display view in uh, dreamweaver which historically has been kind of had a little bit of a stigma let's say <laughs> uh, amongst professional designers who kind of sneer at it and look down um thing the thing the, the thing that i always used to use it for until it completely stopped working <laughs> yeah. when i started doing complicated css layouts is i used to use it to jump to bits of code so i'd click on the item that i wanted to yeah. edit it show me the code well apparently now that's all been sorted out and, and works much better um and they've also built it on webkit which uh, brings us full circle. So that's excellent, and I'm really pleased about that. So I had to say, tempted, tempted to have a little look at that, cool. even despite my negative, miserable attitude <laughs> at the moment. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so there we go. Uh, final news story, because we're going to do three news stories, because I, I want to rant on about Get Sign Off <laughs> for several hours. Um, is a Smashing Magazine article. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. We resisted for several weeks, <laughs> yeah. and we did very well, but, but they have snuck back, back in. Again, yeah, I'm it? really sorry. So um, they've been discussing seven um, ingredients for good corporate designs. So we're talking like branding design here. Um, and they break the discussion into kind of two areas, really. The kind of artistic representation of your brand. So that covers things like logo, typography, color, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But also brand strategy i guess you know um how how you project your brand your brand values you know the qualities that you want to project engaging with a community creating a culture um you know a brand culture actually i think it's a really interesting article um just from the point of view that that what am i trying to say here that when a client turns around and says, make my logo bigger, I want my branding to be bigger, you know, yeah. as they do, it's actually a kind of really good argument to say, well, branding isn't just about your logo. It's about so much more than that. Um, so I was kind of, you know, I think there's actually quite a lot of potential there. Um, and it's definitely worth reading. And it's really good for me. You know, we've got several brands now. We've got Headscape brand. We've got Boag World brand. We've got the Get Sign Off brand, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. You know, and so something like this, you know, if you are launching your own stuff, then having a good idea of what your corporate brand is is very useful. Yeah. Okay, so there we go. That's the news. Let's hurtle on into really a made-up section, which Ryan is called launch. Which <laughs> should be actually advert. Advert. Big bloody <laughs> advert here. Now, hopefully it's going to be a bit more than that. Okay, so I do want to talk about get sign off a little bit. I have no. To- <laughs> Leave me alone. I feel a bit uncomfortable about doing it, to be honest, but I kind of have to. Um, uh, And I do want to talk about my product because I am proud of it, but I want to try and put something in here that's actually of use to people as well. And so, yes, I do want to pimp get sign off, but I also want to take a moment to really reflect on the lessons that that I've learned 
by well, basically launching our first web app. And mm. I know there's a lot of you that listen to this that have been thinking about doing the same thing. And, and it's great to hear from people like 37 Signals, who are absolute pros at this kind of stuff, or the guys at Cost Sonified that have launched several products. But um, it's also quite interesting to hear from, I, well, I think it's quite interesting to hear from somebody like us that have momentously screwed it up at points and, <laughs> you know, have made some mistakes. And, and I think there's stuff to be learned from that. But Let's just do a little bit of blatant advertising and get it out of the way. All I want to do is explain what Get Sign Off is, which is an advert, but also gives context for those of you who don't know. Get Sign Off basically is an application aimed at web designers, guys like you. Um, it allows you to present designs, manage feedback, um, and handle kind of multiple iterations of design concepts. However, basically, most of all, it's designed to help you get sign off from your clients. And it's got loads of cool features. Um, you can use it to approve things like uh, mood boards, um, interface elements, imagery, personas, storyboards, design concepts. Basically, most of the elements of the web design process, although there is more that we're going to add. I'd like to be able to support things like prototyping, which we can't at the moment, mm. you know, wireframes, yep. and also final HTML. So that's, uh, that's yeah. what we're planning in the future. We're not quite there yet. It allows you to fully customize the CSS and visual appearance of the site. Um, it also allows you to cu- um, use a customized domain name, uh, which is something that wasn't in the beta, but we've added in since. You get up to 30 gigabytes of storage, um, which is enough for anybody, really, if you've got the enterprise level package. That is, some of these things are, are paid for, some are not. Um, manage unlimited numbers of clients, projects, and designs. Create man- manage multiple iterations of your design. Add notes to your design. Add comments to your design. Check out, I quite like this one, check out if the client has actually bothered to view your design or not. Um, receive notifications via email, CS, uh, RSS, and um, it's even got Basecamp support now if you, uh, if you use mm. that. Um, each client can um, support multiple logins. You can restrict client logins to specific projects. It's got an easy-to-use interface, which is ideal for clients. Not that I'm implying anything about clients, because I, I know you probably are. Well, some listen to this show, so I need to be very <laughs> careful. Um, and then it, it all leads to a clear kind of sign-off um, procedure. Okay, that's enough. Enough pimping. If you want to check it out, go to getsignoff.com, um, and then you can get a free account and sure. play with it to your heart's consent. Right. So let's talk about what we've <laughs> learned. I've got to say, this has been really weird for me. It, it <laughs> is, you know, I've been doing web design, what, for 10 plus years now? It's more like 15. Is probably. it really near yeah. a 15? Yes. God, I suppose it is. 94, you sold 94, me. 94, yeah. yeah. So it's 15 years next year. Bloody hell. <sighs> so anyway. you really old. It, nearly it, as old as me. No, not quite that old. <laughs> um, so, but it's totally different. Doing, doing a web application totally different experience really has been a real kind of eye-opening experience and i've learned loads on the journey um and i have to be honest at the minute my head is still spinning with it all but i did do a brief um blog post on a few of the my kind of random rough and ready thoughts so here that here we go first point beta users rock i'm so (laughs) so pleased that we did a beta release yeah and didn't go straight live. That would have been just a bad mistake. Getting feedback from real users just <laughs> kind of blew away many of our carefully laid plans and our kind of know-it-all attitude. Yeah. And you kind of think, well, I'm aiming this at people like me, so therefore I must know yes. what I want <laughs> and what I don't want and what the user will want. doesn't work like that. You want to get your real users testing the site. And our beta users came up with some awesome ideas and also found some horrendous bugs at times. 
Um, however, even as they criticised the application, and oh, did they criticise it, they were amazingly encouraging, and I can't thank them enough for, for all that they did. And I think they've really helped to improve the application. And if you're building an application, take a similar approach. Sure. It would be a brilliant piece of advice. Next one is kind of related, I guess, in some ways, which is cherish your users. I know the phrase customer service is important has become a cliche, but that's because it's true. Um, mm. People are just so grateful. They're really grateful for very basic things like answer their emails quickly. When they ask a question, respond to it quickly and efficiently. Um, and we've been able to dif- diffuse some fairly irate people on a couple of occasions just by being polite and helpful and attentive. So, mm. you know, it's not really difficult, is it? But that would be another piece of advice. Here's one that I think we have learnt from by mistake, really, and well, our mistakes, I mean, which is keep it simple. The temptation when you build something like this is to add more and more features into it, um, to, and it can be really overwhelming, and kind of you push back launch by, you know, further and further by adding more and more complexity in. Um, mm. And people come up with such great ideas, especially when you get in the beta phase, that you have this overwhelming desire to just use them all. However, I'd really encourage you to resist this temptation, and I have to say, I'm so glad that I've been reading both Subject to Change and Laws of Simplicity during the process of developing this app. And both have encouraged me to keep things simple where the tendency would be to go in the opposite direction. Yeah. That was one of, um, oh, what's the 37 Signals guy? Called? They said that, did they? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I know there are things, there are, <coughs> there are things that I desperately want to be and get sign off right now. Like we were just talking about the prototyping and the mm. live HTML and stuff like that. You know, I'm desperate to have them in, but, you know, we would have had to put the launch off. Yeah. And and more than that, I think you need to take time to really think these things through and what their impact will be. So keep it simple. This is a follow-up, really, to that, which is don't rush into features. You know, like you have this desire when when we I came up with this these things about prototyping and all the rest of it is to yeah, let's great idea, let's do it, let's make it happen. Um, but somebody rushing into something, you know, for maybe a good piece piece of functionality if you rush into it you're in trouble you know you're in all kinds of dangers that it, it can lead to complications you know i've learned that it's better to spend a couple of weeks considering an idea and mulling it over before rushing into doing it mm. that applies to life paul it does doesn't it <laughs> yes. see wisdom for life in this podcast um See now in life, I'm very much a run in headlong and blow the consequences. Well, kind sometimes of guy. that can you can be lucky and you yeah. know, get to the head of the queue, but yeah. other times you can be just be running down the wrong path. Oh, <laughs> this feels like I don't know some yeah, it's turned into a self help. <laughs> okay, this is the bit that I found hardest, which is pricing. Pricing is a bitch. I <laughs> I really hated this part of it. Um, and you know you can look at the competition you can consider the value that your product brings to your client but um, uh, we still couldn't settle on a price and we went round and round Mm. on this one didn't we yeah and and the trouble is i think unfortunately it's hard to rely on feedback from your beta users in this because basically they want they (laughs) want everything for free which is totally understandable and i'd be the same get i don't know i really don't know on this one it's really difficult in the end what we went we went with some advice from ryan carson he he gave me some advice which he is he warned against um underpricing 
and I think rightly so. I think we have an everybody has a natural tendency to devalue their own work and think that it's not you know worth anything. Sure. Um, and so he advised us not to you know to be careful about our underpricing. So the increase in price that you're currently seeing over the beta product is down to Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So blame him. Actually, we've not. I mean, he was like much more radical than us. We've been cowardly compared to what he was suggesting. But it's good advice. Um, the other thing I wanted to say is you only get one chance. And this is what is terrifying me. This is what's creating that absolute kind of pee, what I call pee tummy. That doesn't mean anything to anyone else. <laughs> yeah, it only only applies to people that, that were like me, very unsporty at school, which is on the day that you had school, your stomach would turn over, right? And to this day, I call physical education pee. And to this day, you know, I have pee stomach where I feel that moment of dread. It's really sad, isn't See, it? See, I was one of those horrible <laughs> boys that really looked forward oh, to PE. It was bastard. the best thing of the day. All lads together, you know. <laughs> oh, just just can't associate with that. Let's at all. Run around the field four times in the freezing cold. No, I used to hate that, but uh, oh, it was. Oh, just don't even get me started on PE. I just I've got my head in my hand. Hockey in bad. hockey in the frost. That's yeah. a good one, wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> right, well, it's rugby was the one that got me. Why do you have to play rugby when the ground is rock solid? And cricket. Why does cricket need to consist of a ball made out of stone? Basically. Well, because it wouldn't be very manly <coughs> if it wasn't, would it? Hey. It'd be a lot more enjoyable. The ball is... Don't get me started on cricket. No, this is a whole... The world. ball is very important. That's all I'm going to say. And what it's made of. And how it's made. But I'm not going... I, I'm going to become even more boring than you. <laughs> <laughs> is that possible? Um, yeah, so... so Yeah, you only get one chance. This is this is what's currently terrifying me. <laughs> how did we go... Oh, I Because I was yeah, yeah, saying yeah. I had that favorite feeling of pee tummy. Um... <laughs> You only get one chance to make a first impression. And I know the current wisdom seems to be to, to release early, doesn't it? You know, get something out there, get it into the marketplace. But if you release crap, then basically users are never going to come back, are they? Um, and you have to strike this balance between, you know, quality and getting to the market quickly. And, and that terrifies me of, of trying to strike that balance. And I hope that we've done that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I haven't really got a lot of advice on that. I think my advice would be go for quality over quickness. I think. I, I don't suppose know. It, depend, we'll see. it depends on the on the product. Really. Yeah, I suppose. I suppose so. if it, I'm, I'm, I can't think of a good analogy, but if you were trying to sell something <laughs> that was fairly crappy and cheap, then getting it out before your competitors copied you is probably far I, more the best example I can think of is with with something like social networking, where you need to grab large numbers of users. Mm. Um, being first and only in the marketplace, I think, is a lot more important. Yeah. Um, so Twitter is a good example of that. Actually, Twitter was shit when it came out. <laughs> and ain't a lot better now. <laughs> but they, because everybody now uses it, because it, for a long time that was all that was around, mm. they dominate the market. Exactly. Um, treat it like client work. Oh, yes. Is my Otherwise, next. it won't get done. Yeah, exactly. Quite simply. Yeah. I mean, our, this project, when did we come up with this, get sign off? March 2007. March 2007. South by before Laos, wasn't yeah. it? Um, and it just stagnated, didn't it? Yeah. We were all so enthusiastic about it, and it just didn't happen. You know, basically, paid work kept slipping in front of it the whole time. 
I mean, it depends. This is a bit specific. You know, if you're an agency looking to develop a project or a freelancer developing a project, you know, obviously if it's your whole business, then this isn't going to be an issue. But for in our situation, it just got kicked, pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. And it only got kick-started when we sat down and we priced it like a project and we scoped it like a project and ran it like a piece of client work. And I was the client that, that would get irate. <laughs> um, yeah. What? What? <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. Okay. Only then did it get the priority it deserved. So it did, it did need somebody to, to shout about it. Last point I want to raise. Um, I, hope it, I hope this has been useful. I really hope, yeah, I hope I'm not going to get criticism for this. I don't think I will. Oh, I think it's, no, you, it's useful. Oh, do you think you might get criticism oh, ever again, Paul? I nearly <laughs> said the F word to you then. <laughs> criticism for you. I don't need it from everybody else. You and my wife is quite enough. Um Okay, final point. Don't fear competition, right? So the first time we heard that there was a, competi- a competing product out there, which was something called um, Concept Share, mm-hmm. which had apparently been around for ages, and <laughs> we didn't know about it. We thought we were being so original. We were gutted, weren't we? It was horrible, that first, finding out the first one. By the third and fourth <laughs> <laughs> competitor, we were in danger. Well, I was in danger of slipping into despair. However, actually, now I've kind of, it's all sunk in a bit more. There's actually no need. Competition is a good thing. It spurred us on and I think made us push to get the product out quicker um, and to, to, um, you know, to make it really good. And also, we've kind of learned from some of the mistakes our competitors have made. I'm not going to list them all. I'm not that stupid. Um, (laughs) (laughs) However, um, most importantly of all, I think it made us focus. Until then, we've been trying to build an application that met the needs of everybody wanting to get design sign-offs. So whether you're a print designer or, you know, whatever, we thought, oh, you know, this is massive market. We can appeal to everybody. After we became aware of our competition, we focused the app into meeting the needs of web designers. um, And we decided to go niche or is it niche? It's niche. niche if you're American, isn't it? That's is it? where I'm getting. Yeah, they say niche market. Really? So, yeah. Ooh, that's horrible. I know it is. <laughs> Never mind. They can't help it. <laughs> I've got a really good start for my future of web design talk in New York. I'll tell you about it offline. Okay. It's, it's very detrimental to Americans in front of an audience of Americans. Um, <laughs> we decided, so we decided to go niche. Um, and it was the best thing we've ever done, to be honest. While our competitors are struggling to meet kind of disparate needs because they're, they're trying to do what we were originally planning to do, we've been able to focus our requ- um, on, you know, on the requirements of a single target market mm-hmm. and kind of you know, everything we're talking about doing with this application is very much orientated around web designers. I mean, let's face it, all of that lot, just the beginning of our journey, really. And, um, you know, there's so much more we want to do with Get Sign Off. Yeah, but there's plenty more opportunities for sections of the podcast. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. I really don't want to overdo it. I really don't want to overdo it. But hopefully that was useful to you. Um, obviously, go along to GetSignOff.com and give it a go. Cool. Right. So that wasn't our feature for today. And our feature's next. Okay, so our feature... I'm very conscious I'm doing a lot of talking today. Thank goodness that Marcus is doing the listener questions at the end. It gives me a chance to have a little nap, you know. (laughs) I'm sorry. Hopefully this will be useful. Um, Using web stats, I want to look at today. So we all use um, web stat tools like um, Google Analytics for tracking our marketing campaigns. However, I wanted to not look at that, not look at the marketing campaign stuff, um, but look instead at how to go about improving your site using information from web stats 
All right? Yep. So not about marketing, but about improving your sites. Um, to be honest, this, again, has been lifted from um, the website owner's manual. Um, and, and, and as I've been writing the website owner's manual, it's kind of struck me really the power of web stats um that they you know that they can do a lot more than you know monitoring your marketing efforts it can also be used to help and resolve help to resolve and find problems with your site and they can also be used to improve the quality of your content that you can deliver so let's look at those two things first of all finding and resolving problems so when it comes to web stats, one of the most popular um, figures to monitor is your conversion rate. Mm-hmm. And your conversion rate um, compares the number of users visiting your site to the number of users completing a specific call to action. Sure. If your conversion rate is low, this could reflect a problem with your site, right? And this could be, I mean, there are other reasons why your conversion rate can be low, but, but it, it could well be to do with the actual site yeah, itself. You could be asking people to do something really horrible, couldn't you? You could be. Yes. But even so, <laughs> it, it, well, I'll come <laughs> on to that in a minute. Yeah, so, so the things that this could be due to is usability. Um, so the user is unable to find your call to action due to poor navigation or other usability issues. It could be to do with accessibility. For example, a particular browser does not render your site correctly, and so users cannot complete the call to action. Um, yep, I've found that. that on a, seen that before. Yeah, I found it. the search button. Well, yeah. <laughs> or I, I, I was using a site, I can't remember what it was now, probably best not to say anyway. Well, I know exactly the one, very recently, uh, Ticketmaster. Oh, that wasn't me, but carry it was, on. Uh, it, was, uh, I th- it was either Firefox on the Mac or Safari didn't have the basically buy your tickets button. <laughs> just Everything missing. else just was, wasn't there. Yeah. And of that course I thought, well, all right, well, I'll go and look at it at Firefox in Windows and there it was. That's really crap, isn't it? Mm. I was trying to use a site where I tried to click on the, um, on the, the, the button and it wouldn't, Click. Just wouldn't, well, well, just, there I was, was clicking no on button. it. Well, the, but, yeah, but that's almost better, I think. Well, I don't know. It was it Safari right. because it was uh, it was my wife Caroline looking at it on her iPod Touch, going, "What, what do I do now? What do I do now? Yeah. Where, where's the button?" Yeah. And, she, and it's like, "Oh, don't, I'm go- give it here." I said, "Like you do." I <laughs> uh, <laughs> there's, there's no, no button. button. <laughs> that, that is particularly bad. Yeah. So accessibility content is the other. <clears> that your site does not provide adequately convincing content to encourage users to complete a call to action. So lots of reasons why your conversion rate can be low. But, you know, what consists of a low conversion ratio is probably a a fair question to ask. And it kind of goes back to what you were saying about, you know, it depends what you ask people to do. Well, that entirely depends on the call to action, yeah. Mm. So, for example, an e-commerce site can expect a conversion (coughs) ratio anywhere between half a percent and eight percent, depending on the sector or the product that you're selling. On the other hand, a call to action that does not involve people parting with their money will get a much higher figure than that. Yep. Um, so the best approach is actually not to convert, compare your conversion ratio to other sites, but to convert, compare it against itself over time. Sure. So as you make adjustments to your site, you need to look to see whether it harms or improves your conversion ratio. Fortunately, web um, so, uh, statistics can help establish what, um, what changes will improve your conversion ratio. Um, so one of the things that you can do to start this process of, of identifying maybe some problems with your site is to look at where people are exiting your site, okay? So this is called dropout points. So when you're looking at where users exit your site, um, you need to exclude um, uh, pages which are viewed uh, just one-page views, right? Mm. So don't look at, you know, page, you know, exclude from your results any pages that are just visited, but, you know, that's the only page they visit on the site. 
So if you don't do that, then basically the homepage is always going to come to the top of the list, right? This is because um, people click through from a search engine, discover that the site is not what they wanted, and then immediately leave. And although this may indicate a problem with your SEO, it doesn't necessarily affect badly on your site. Yep. So once these anomalies have been excluded, then take a look at the remaining pages. Why are users leaving at these points? Is it, the, is it that the content isn't relevant or it's not clearly presented? Is the navigation usable? Um, are you suggesting a next step or is the user left at like a dead end page which doesn't really go anywhere? So look at the history. Um, also look at sorry. Also look at the history of users that drop out on a particular page. How long have they been on that on the site as a whole? Mm-hmm. But also, what other pages have they viewed, and how long have they spent on the page before dropping out? Um, you know, does this reveal any trends that will help you identify the problem? Sometimes the problem will be obvious, but other times it's not going to be. In such cases, then try usability testing on these pages. Uh, this will uncover any potential issues. But if usability testing is not an option for whatever reason, then try out a, um, a product like ClickTales that we've talked about before. Mm-hmm. In case you don't remember, ClickTales um, picks off where traditional kind of analytic programs leave off. Um, so it allows you to see what users are doing on an individual page by recording those user sessions anonymously and showing you literally as people move around the page, scroll up, scroll down, hover over things, click on things, and that kind of stuff. Mm. Although technology like ClickTales is impressive, it's not going to really replace traditional user testing. So wherever possible, um, do traditional user testing. And that's because it doesn't give you the opportunity to question the users. Mm. For example, it does not explain why a user chooses to abandon a shopping cart, which is an interesting question. Mm. Um, When website owners of e-commerce sites start to look at their website statistics, they're often horrified by the dropout rate of people looking at shopping cart pages they worry that there's a fundamental usability flaw there however in most cases it's not true when you actually get to question users about why they abandon shopping carts you know answers range from i was saving the item to buy later through to i wanted to compare the price with another site um and to be honest like home pages shopping carts will always have a high exit rate and no amount of statistical analysis is going to change that to be frank however Statistical analysis will allow you to improve the content and products that you provide on your site. So let me tell you how, and this is the second part I want to, I wanted to cover. There's a real benefit to understanding what users want from, from their sites, pretty obviously, really. <laughs> um, from what content uh, they want to view to what products they want to buy, understanding user requirements allows you to kind of mold your site around users' needs, which is obviously ideal. Website stats can help you identify popular content, uh, but not in the way that you might expect. Looking at the most visited pages will not provide you with the answer. Popular pages can be misleading for three reasons. Basically, the page can be visited by mistake. It can be popular because it's prominent, Mm -hmm. or it can be popular because it's a gateway page to deeper content. And the homepage is a great example of all three of these things. As I've already said, the homepage is often visited by mistake from search engines. It's also the most prominent page um, and is used as a navigational tool to find other pages. So it doesn't really tell you much about what users are after just because they go to a homepage. Looking at how long users spend on a page can weed out false positives. However, ultimately, I think this is a bit of a flawed approach as because it, it can only give you a partial indication um, of the popular content of your site. A better approach is to look at the search terms 
users enter into search engines to reach your site. Almost all website um, stats packages provide this information and it can help you define users' priorities. So basically, you look at what search terms people have used to give you an indication of what they're after. However, this is only going to show you content that already exists on your existing site. If a user enters a search term for content that you don't have, your site's not going to be returned, therefore the user's not going to visit your site, right? So, So it kind of is only partially helpful in a sense. What you really want to do is identify content that um, you do not offer, but that users want. How are you going to do that, then? Yeah. This is possible by examining the phrases users enter not into an external search engine, oh, right. yeah, yeah. but yeah, into yeah. your own search sure, engine. Sure, So, approximately half of the visitors that come to your site will use your internal search engine. Every time they search, they're telling you exactly what they want from your site, and they're saying it in their own words. And that is incredibly valuable. You need to access these search terms, um, and particularly the ones that return zero results. This is an area um, that these are the areas that you need to do work on. Users are expressing an interest in a piece of information that you do not have, and that the search engines uh, does or that the search engine does not recognize, right? So once you have access to these search phrases, start tailoring content around them. If, you, if the content doesn't exist, add it where appropriate. If it does exist, but it's not being found, introduce the exact phrasings that the user has um, used in their search phrase so that the results get returned. Um, it's better to use the language that your users use rather than sticking to internal jargon that nobody understands except your organization. Now, tools like Google Analytics now do offer this functionality so you can track what's happening on your internal search engine. So definitely check that out. And there you have it. That's cool. Proof that website statistics can be used to track more than just marketing campaigns. Okay. I like that, Paul. It's interesting. I I thought it was interesting. Uh, It was quite enlightening writing that chapter. I kind of enjoyed it. Okay. Made me think about things I hadn't thought about before. Okay, so we come now to listener feedback section of the show, and I'm going to shut up. <laughs> Bloody hell, I've talked a lot in this show. <laughs> and relax, Marcus, over to you. <laughs> okay, we got this audio question, so here goes with the question. Hi, Paul. Hello, Marcus. And hello to all the other people that work at the show, too. I think you guys are doing a great job. Um, I live in Canada, so hearing your nice English voices through my headphones is great. To be honest, you could spend half an hour doing that, your rhymes, and I still enjoy it. Um, anyway, my name is Steve. I've actually done some freelance web design for clients in the past, um, but the part I enjoyed most was the actual selling cycle, being able to actually explain to the client in depth what a standard-based website would do for them, and then persuade them that investing in such a site would be wise for their business. I bet there's a lot of these awesome designers and developers out there who are thinking, I'm an absolute Jedi with CSS and HTML, but I wish I was better at the selling and marketing part. And then there are people like me. I think I can really sell web design well, but I wish I could work with people that are just amazing at building these websites. So my two-pronged question is as follows. Is there a website or another resource that would allow people like me who love web design but are more business marketing oriented to touch base with people who are in the opposite situation? And I'm thinking more than just a kind of a job board here. I guess the best analogy would be something that Marcus might be familiar with, um, adverts in the back of music magazines that would say something like band-seeking drummer or talented singer needs people to play instruments. My other question, how did you guys do it at Headscape? Were you all great at coding and then someone had to get pushed out the door and start selling? Or were there very separate roles from the beginning? And that's it. Sorry for taking up half of your podcast. 
Uh, if anyone wants to get in touch with me regarding this, it's steve at bountiful.com. Okay. Part one first. I'm original, aren't I? Um, <laughs> the band seeks drummer analogy is good, but I much prefer a dating agency anal- analogy. Um, cuddly financial sa- financially sound salesman with good sense of humour seeks quiet, <laughs> intense, practical developer for fulfilling relationship. <laughs> well, that's what he's after, isn't it? Yes. Can, can I, I? I want to meet a developer. Yes. Um, uh, as far as I'm aware, sadly, this service doesn't exist. But I would suggest places like the Bag World Forum that concentrate people of developer and designer mind uh, would be the place to go and find somebody and talk yeah. to them rather than just look on job boards. Um, yeah, forums are the place, really. Absolutely. But the second part of the question I can talk a bit more about. Yeah. Uh, much as I would love to claim that I used to be great at coding uh, before they kicked me out of the door to do the selling, <laughs> it would be a blatant lie. Yes. Absolutely. He obviously has not listened to the show for any length of time, no, is he? No, <laughs> that did, did make me giggle, I have to say. Um, when Headscape started, the three of us came from different disciplines. Paul was designer slash tech. It's true. He was our techie. Um, <laughs> that's, so, that's such a, a damning indictment. True, though. Um, Chris was project manager and I was salesman. Uh, we soon didn't have enough design slash tech resource uh, in just Paul, so we started to recruit. But the fact that, A, Chris was organising and pushing projects along, and B, that I was concentrating on bringing in new work, meant that we were running things much more like a larger agency does, uh, basically more efficiently and with less risk, very early on. And now I banged on about how important effective selling is in the past many times, so I'm not going to repeat myself about that here. The only thing I will say is that I'm kind of slightly contradicting my past uh, previous paragraph, but the only thing uh, that I'm saying here is that having totally separate roles is not necessarily a good thing. Even now, we don't have totally separate roles. Chris and Paul are both heavily involved in the sales process and always have been. Uh, And in my view, as I've said again many times, it's the responsibility of the company directors to sell. But added to that, Chris and I do a lot of consultancy work in, with um, analysing requirements, information architecture, that kind of thing. And Paul, you do still do design work from time to time. Oh, just occasionally. So, but it's important. It keeps your hand in. That's, mm. that's the point. If you're just selling, on, particularly from a salesman's point of view, it's very easy to just kind of <coughs> think that we're still in 2003. Yeah. Um, so getting involved in actual paid work is, is, is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I'm, um, I'm just about to repeat myself there. But it is, I think, important to have people who it, it is there. You, you, what you need to do is, is say, "This is my, this is what I major in." To use an Americanism, yeah. this is my first role. This is what the company expects of me. The company expects me to bring in work. Yeah, and I do other stuff as well. Yeah. Uh, what does the company expect you to do, Paul? I'm, I'm still no not really sure. Bloody <laughs> idea! I'm saying a lot in this podcast. I do apologise. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, that was a mean but question you, that you, you weren't guys expecting. have been. You guys have been very good with me. You just allow me to do whatever I fancy doing at any particular time, don't you? Really, you're all about keeping us fresh, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, though. In not mentioned any kind of like weird way. Oh, it's true. God, you so keep tired. us up to date. Uh, anyway, so I, I hope that answers your question, Andrew. Uh, certainly tells you a bit about the way we. We worked early on. Yes. Um, so, next question, which I'm going to... Which is basically about hosting. Yes. Yippee. Um, 
and I'm going to get Paul to read out this question. This is going to be so funny. My brain is not reading well today. Here we go. Right, this is a question from Alex. Hi, all. I can manage that bit. <laughs> uh, I'm about to do a simple website for a friend, a.k.a. my first client, which will be, uh, we'll try to market. <laughs> I can't, see, I can't do it. While I'm confident I can do the website, I'm not sure how far I should go with helping slash organizing his hosting. The client doesn't know anything about hosting and doesn't have any hosting space with his broadband supplier. Now, I don't really want to get into organizing hosting unless I have to. So I'd just like to know what the norm is in this regard. As a web developer slash a firm, he likes slashes. He's got a lot of them. Do you automatically sort out hosting or do you let the client do it um, and give you the hosting passwords you can upload the site? Is it even a good slash lucrative area to get involved in this sort of thing as part of your service? Can people suggest um, what they do, please? Okay. Um, This question came from the forum, and there are already some interesting posts uh, in, in response. In my view, the biggest issue here with regard to providing hosting is can you support this website can you provide support if the site goes down in the middle of the night uh, mm. on Christmas Day mm. uh, or even when you're on your two-week break to Spain? If you decide to sell hosting, then basically you become a middleman between your client and the hosting company. Your client is contracted to you, not the hosting company, to provide and support hosting. Of course, you, you personally have a relationship with the hosting company where they'll provide you with an agreed level of support, <coughs> blah, 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 blah. But you're still the person that has to deal with your client's issues as and when they arise, Mm -hmm. which could be uh, on Christmas morning. Yeah. Um, At Headscape, we are completely open about this with with our clients. We basically tell them that we only provide support of any kind, whether it's hosting, technical, whatever, uh, on working days between, well, I mean, probably between eight and six is realistic. Yeah. Uh, We're not set up to do any more than that. We don't have a team of people on you know and phone networks etc etc we're a development agency of course we are happy to provide support to our clients for um you know for whatever they require but we can't do it 24 hours a day 365 days a year Mm -hmm. so be upfront about it i think is a really important thing here but we do offer hosting for those clients that feel that the level of support that we offer is enough and we've got quite a lot of people, well, quite a lot of our clients do host with us. Mm-hmm. Um, we have our own managed platform, and we also act as a reseller for a large hosting company. Mm-hmm. So we've got two different options. Though that's useful because it means that you can spread your load. It's useful to have two places to have your host, different hosted websites in case there's a, they don't all go down if there's, <laughs> if, if there's a problem with one. But it does happen. Yeah. Um, the solution for those clients that require a, a superior level of service is simple. The client buys the hosting directly, thereby taking you out of the loop. Uh, we specify the technologies that are required to, uh, mm-hmm. for our site to work on a particular hosting platform. We discuss the level of support required because most hosting com- companies offer loads of different op- um, options, amount of bandwidth, etc., etc. We do all this. We discuss that with the client. We will also set up the site on that server. Yeah. But the, the issue here is the client orders and pays for the hosting. So they have a direct relationship with the hosting company who do offer 24 by 7 by 365 yeah. support. This has worked really well for us, particularly for larger, busier sites that we've developed. All that said, if you act as a, re- act as a reseller and you have enough clients, you can make a decent profit via hosting because mm-hmm. you basically charge a fixed flat fee with the hosting company. And if you 
once you've made that amount, then you're into profit. But don't be fooled into thinking that it doesn't involve any work keeping all those clients happy and up to date. If you have enough clients to make money out of hosting, then it's very likely that you will have regular hosting issues to deal with and constant renewals to, do, to deal with. I yeah, mean, so like invoicing. Who and, likes doing that? Yeah. No one. <laughs> My friend and colleague, the long-suffering Mr. Scott, has many times said that he wished he had never touched hosting with a barge pole simply because it often ends up being a constant irritation that gets in the way of project, project work and, to be honest, rarely pays for itself. Yeah. I'd agree. I'd, I'd keep away from it if you possibly can. You can't, though. Especially for smaller... No. Uh, you know, if you said to her, if you were a one-man band and you said to her, the one-man band that you're doing the website for, oh, you go off and buy it. Yeah. I mean, I suppose if you did, if you... I mean, I, I, yeah, I'm contradicting myself here. If you make sure that every single step you've dealt with and then you say, you need to speak to this person and buy it, then yeah. I, guess, I guess that's a way around it. But... Uh, yeah, hosting, boring, horrible, don't like it. I just turned over the page uh, in my notes, and we seem to have now moved on to my wife's notes for Weight Watchers meetings. So I've got useful advice here for anybody that wants to lose weight. My, so there we go. My turnover of the page is far better. What's yours? Oh, yours is a joke. Let's do your joke. <clears throat> go on, then. Right, I like this. I'm, I'm sorry to whoever <laughs> sent this to me, because I haven't got your name on it, because I pasted it into another document. I'll try and remember next week, but this one made me laugh. It's... Dumb as ever. Dumb jokes make me laugh. Anyway, here we go. A man walks into a pub with his border collie dog. He goes up to the barman and says, I bet you £10 my dog can do metal work. The barman doesn't believe him and says, what are you on about? But the man insists, no, really, I bet you £20 my dog can do metal work. The barman still doesn't believe him and tries to ignore him. The man insists again, OK, I bet you £50 my dog can do metal work. The barman is fed up by this time and says, look, don't be stupid. There's no way your dog can do metal work. I'll bet you £100. The man smiled at the barman. Then he suddenly turned around, picks up his dog by the tail and starts to violently swing the dog around and around his head. He lets go and slams the dog down onto the counter. Then the dog made a bolt for the door. (laughs) (laughs) Which makes me giggle. That is a good one. (laughs) That is a good one. I like that one. Thank you very much, Marcus, and thank you, too, for listening to the show today. Hopefully you enjoyed it. And join us again next time. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Hello, world of Boaz. It's like being on David Letterman.